welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, joining you during the Christmas season, and I am joined, as always, by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Caved In Online. Daniel Schrieber, what's going on? Hello, David. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Yeah, he was well. It's uh, definitely the end of days, and it's 50 degrees in Minnesota <laughs> right before Christmas. There is not a speck of snow on the ground. I went up north for Thanksgiving. There was not a speck of snow on the ground. There wasn't a fraction of ice on the lake. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, if you have kids, uh, you might as well start taking pictures of what snow looks like. I don't know what to tell you. It's pretty grim out there. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> It's supposed to rain on Christmas Day here. It's supposed to rain. Rain. 50 degrees and rainy. What is this? England? Aren't they projecting like that the last doomsday ice sheet in the Arctic will collapse next year? And then it's all over for us. Yeah, I mean, Sometime probably. in 2024. <laughs> we, need, we need someone with some uh, suspicious credentials on Joe Rogan to really break it down for us. <laughs> It's been a pleasure being here with all of you here at the end of day. Here at the end, uh, Mr. Frodo, Sam, yes. it's great to be here at the end of all things. Yes, indeed. Um, and we've added some new members to our fellowship on that subject. Here to join us in the last legs of the journey, we have some new patrons. Uh, I'd like to welcome them right at the top. That's Dave M., Jonathan R., Buster S., and Bingo Wahoo. So thank you all very, very much for coming to spend your, your final hours with us here at the end of 2023. And a reminder that if you're enjoying the program and you want to help support Faithless Brewing into the new year, you can go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. That's where you can sign up and make a pledge at any tier you like. Uh, that gets you immediate access to our amazing Discord community. Also want to give a quick shout out to Buster who writes that yours is the first podcast I've ever paid to support, but once I started to re-listen to your old episodes rather than listening to other people's brand new episodes, I figured it was time. Also, please add more Kefnet content. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> is is Buster a paid actor by me? It's unclear at this time, but uh, yeah, we got to give the people what they want. And uh, I love brewing up Kefnet lists. Asking for an is it build? Okay. I love it. Let's do it. I have some ideas. <laughs> I cannot believe how many specific Kefnet patrons we've had since that ill-fated episode. I don't know. Maybe that was a very auspicious episode. Are there more cards like this? You just have more in your quiver that you've been sitting on for years. Well, there are cards I want. To, there are cards I want to be good. Um, and there, you know, that that list is long and distinguished. But um, Kefnet is like close. And at various points, it actually is like an interesting card. Like if you're going to play eight cantrips, Kefnet is very good. And then combining it with other things, I mean, we'll have to see what else we can do. <laughs> I'm liking Kefnet with the blue god uh, in this most recent set that when it dies, it becomes a land. Hmm. Because they both kind of want the same thing. Like that god gives your instance. Um, not flashback, but uh, they cast for free during your next upkeep. They compete directly for the exact same spot, though. Yeah, but the point is, you don't want to have too many of each one because you can't ever have both in place. You can play like three of the new god and two Kefnet or something. 
you don't want to have too much Kefnet. No, that's not what the Kefnet faithful want to hear, David. <laughs> well, you don't, that... Kefnet, you don't want to get Kefnet flooded. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, in this Is It build, we can play some kind of looting effect to get rid of the extra copies. Yeah, absolutely. Is it charm? I'm surprised you're saying with a cantrip, so you don't you don't really care about the cost reduction. You just well, want you want draw. no the the extra. You want two bites at the apple. You want your draw and their draw. That's why oh, growth spiral, like realizing growth spiral, was right, right. both a way to get Kefnet to play faster, and then in the late game, it turns into another bite at the apple with Kefnet. I see. So you're still going to have like your big spell payoffs. Um. Yeah, and again, they've they've printed like better X spells right those are the kinds of things that you're interested in finding where you can do something with them early and then maybe you know later in the game you can do something if multiple choice was better uh, i mean that's that's the card that's so good with kefna it's just insane every time you flip it <laughs> okay well buster there is your little bonus kefnet content and if anyone else has special requests like this um yeah you can come give us a shout Feel free to shoot us a message and thanks to everyone who has signed up. Yeah. So kind of the news of the day is the, Ma, uh, excuse me, pioneer format post banning. So we banned Karn, we unbanned uh copter and then we banned the, basically the quote unquote best version of the um, cascade deck in pioneer. And thank God we banned Karn. <laughs> yeah. So it was going to be a big problem. Um, and then we had a huge, uh, like, Pro Tour qualifier. I, it's not exactly a Pro Tour qualifier because I think it was like a top 32 qualified or something. Oh, yeah, the regional championship. There's a regional championship. So they're kind of like a nationals, but they happen now three times a year. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just a mass transmission event for COVID. There was some magic played at this uh, event is what, is what I've been given to understand. <laughs> So they had to be nimble on their feet, right? They had to adapt to the brand new format after Geological Appraiser and Karn were taken out. What was the effect of this? I mean, was it Smuggler's Copters all the way down? What did we see? Yeah, I mean, I think the the deck of the tournament was actually probably Amalia combo. Um, and then decks that had good matchups against that. So obviously we talked about this when Amalia was spoiled. Like there's a stupid two-card combo with this card for no reason with wild growth walker the shell that it would go in was pretty obvious um people quickly uh basically agree on the same card construction card construction i mean there's like four or five cards different between builds and the decks that seem to have good matchups against that are the enigmatic incarnation deck and azorius control and those three decks all were the best performing decks of the of the format. So I think Amalia combo is kind of the deck that the whole format revolves around. And uh, Enigmatic Incarnation and uh, Azorius combo just, excuse me, Azorius control just happen to be decks that are reasonably powerful against other shells and uh, very good against specifically um, the combo. I mean, I think you're skipping a few steps. It's not immediately obvious what the build was. And it's technically a two and a half card combo because Amalia plus Wild Growth Walker doesn't actually trigger either card, right? You do need some other thing to either begin the Explore or Life Gain chain. So when you look at the deck, 
yeah, they load up on cards like Prosperous Innkeeper, Lunark Veteran, um, these Soul Sister effects. Uh, Cenote Scout. You know, I, I think we initially thought that would be a four of, and it looks like some people play four, some people play two. I'm a little bit surprised that Gilded Goose is a four of in this successful build. It fixes the colors to get the Amalia in. It has some life gain properties, I guess, but it doesn't seem like a particularly efficient card. Yeah, I mean, you're also just like casting Coco and hoping a lot in this deck. So, you know, you want to cast Coco a turn earlier. I mean, is the food very important? Like, why why play the goose? I think it's all the things. It's the fixing. It's a body. Um, you want just as many bodies as you can because um, you have the Convoke spell to tutor. It lets you trigger if they're turning off, like coming to play abilities. Mm. Okay, so you're saying that with Court of Calling, it, it almost doesn't matter whether the Gilded Goose is a proper mana elf, because just anybody can do it at that point. Yeah, it, it gives you mana early, so like this deck can win on turn three. So it, it opens up the turn three combo for you. Um... And it also helps you cast Coco a turn earlier. So you want to cast Coco on their end step if you're going to go off. And then in the late game, it is a source of life gain. Even just two mana, gain three, and even with just a Molly in play, you get to explore. So it's almost like you're drawing a card. When Amalia was first previewed, one of the questions, at least when we were just brainstorming, was whether the win is actually just attacking with the Amalia or whether you want to do something else. Um, so as you're doing this, you can, if you want to, you can explore your deck into your graveyard, about half your deck or something. Um, and we were like wondering if you should try to do anything with that and like take advantage of the fact that Explorer does stock the graveyard or not, right? I saw some early pe versions where people just, just made the 20 power creature. They didn't even put anything in the graveyard. They just topped the card every time. We saw Dina Soulsteeper picked up as, you know, some number. It looks like one is the number people are settling on here. Yep, it is a core target. <laughs> uh, we're seeing three copies of Return to the Ranks, which I don't think that was an obvious inclusion. That's one of the only cards here, uh, I guess, besides Lunark Veteran, that does anything with the graveyard. Normally there's like an Extraction Specialist or two as well. Again, it's a core target. Again, it's a card you can top. Oh, true. Uh, it, it has Native Lifelink, which is, which is pretty annoying if you're a deck that's shutting off coming to play effects. So there has been some evolution is what I would say. Like this deck has been quietly getting better while all the copter chatter has happened. It was unaffected by Karn or the appraiser ban. Yeah, obviously we're, we're not going to ever run the experiment. I don't know that how that old version of mono green would line up against this deck. I'm guessing very poorly. Um, but the current mono green decks that people are playing, I know Aspiring Spike played like a mono green devotion, lines up very, very poorly uh, against this deck. So given these results, where Amalia's one of the top decks, blue-white in response has become a top deck, if I'm not playing blue-white, but I want to have my Amalia tech, what should I be looking for to interact with a combo? Is creature removal sufficient? I'm just looking at this list, it doesn't look like that would be enough. No, and, and in fact, because you have Coco uh, you, and your deck's actually like, you know, it's it reminds me a little bit of the, uh, what's that 4-4 four, four chick that when she attacks, you can find humans in your top six or when non-humans attack? 
Oh, Winota Joiner of yeah. Forces? This is, a, this is like the new Winota deck. It can win on turn three. It's weirdly powered up by the fact that Prosperous Innkeeper is like maybe the most underrated card they've printed in the last like five years. Card's just like mm. the best card in this deck. It's the, It was the best card. It's the card that like broke Winota, weirdly. Um, just like insanely better than Lotus Cobra. I mean, if you had told me that, I just... <laughs> I'm still like trying to wrap my head around. It's like it's way better. It's not even close. Like you cannot play Lotus Cobra because of how much better Prosperous Innkeeper is. And it has like a I don't know what you want to call it, mediocre creature ramp strategy that has these abilities to pull wins out of nowhere. So it, it reminds me very much of the Winota deck. Um mm. hate cards. The number one thing you'd like to be able to do is stop them from gaining life. I know some people have been main decking the 3-3 Menace uh, creature that prevents life gain. Uh, before, the, um, before the bannings, you could even play the one in a red enchantment that does one damage to each of you in your upkeeps. And you can pay a red to cancel life gain for the turn. It also killed people when they tried to go for the Cascade uh, win. So that was like super cool tech. You can play cards that prevent things from triggering when creatures enter play. There's a bunch of cards like that. You can play Graft Digger's Cage style effects. Um, maybe you want to play the two mana version if you're still worried about Grease Fang, because a lot of what this deck does, you know, between Extraction Specialist, Court of Calling, Return of the Ranked Collected Company, you know, there, there's artifacts or creatures that exile or prevent creatures from entering um, play from your graveyard or your library. Those are all very powerful. But the idea that you can just like play thought season, fatal push, and then like some sweepers, the problem is they can just like EOT collected company, get lucky and kill you. Mm. And because Amalia's ward, like every time you kill Amalia, you take three. Every time you kill Amalia, you take three. And then the uh, the Lunark veteran beats <laughs> start to <laughs> add up. Uh, you know, Prosperous Innkeeper. It's not a card you think you need to kill, but if it does a couple damage to you, you kill Amalia three times, that's nine. I mean, you take a couple damage from your shocks, you thought seize them. You find yourself in like dire straits, and then you cast Dina, right, with two Lunark veterans in play. That's two damage. So it, it's, a, it's a deck that has all this chip damage. It can win that way. It doesn't want to win that way. It almost always wins through the combo. But you can't just stop the combo and win unless you yourself have a clock. Yeah, return to the ranks off the top, collected company off the top. I can see why you turn into cards like uh, Hushbringer, that Torpor Orb effect in some of your decks. Another card that you often malign is uh, Strict Proctor. That's a similar Torpor Orb type creature. I, I saw that one player at the regional championship Decided to go back to the Strict Proctor as their um, anti-Amalia tech that also supports the Lotus Field combo. They just decided to make their Lotus Field combo deck uh, support four Strict Proctors as kind of like a dual role ramp card and heat card for their expected meta. Yeah, the thing is like blue-white control is really good matchup against Amalia. So you don't need to do that if you don't want to. You just want to play like good blue-white control. You don't, you don't have to play Strict Proctor. Yeah, well, actually, what's interesting is that the rest of their deck uh, was not ramp. It was just like classic Lotus Field combo. The pour over the pages, hidden strings. Oh, oh sure. Yeah. Scrying stuff. Um, so it's almost like they just splashed the Proctors into that build in order to not die against Amalia. So things like that. Like, look and see what your available tech options are. Yeah, the Graftigger's Cage, Weathered Runestone makes a lot of sense. 
and yeah, rampaging Ferocidon. I mean, we said this on day one of Pioneer. Yeah, formerly banned. It, <laughs> exactly. it might be, yeah. The End is actually kind of an interesting card. Uh, I think that's also a card people could look at. Hmm. Okay, so there's time to just like take out all the Amalias. Yeah, because Amalia has to be in play. If they do a bunch of chip damage to you, uh, the end might only cost black, black. <laughs> <laughs> and the deck really can't win without Amalia. I mean, once Amalia is dead, it's it's kind of just mop up city. So if I look at the other top performing deck lists from the RC, and we can quantify that by either looking at the matchup matrix, which you can find on the site mtgmeta.io. There's always a nice analysis after each tournament there. Or if you just look at what made top eight, um, couple Amalia decks in the top eight, is it Phoenix continue to put up good numbers? Rakdos and Azorius. If I look at Phoenix, doesn't look like the deck has changed at all. Picklock Prankster being 4X is the only really new thing I'm seeing here. Uh, it, that's been kind of standard for a while, though. I mean, I think you and I called it uh, during the spoiler season. We're like, this card is really good and Phoenix should try it. Yeah, and after people kind of poo-pooed it, of course, someone five would with it, and then people just copied them. So, yeah, so this will be a deck where it doesn't seem to have the right interaction against Amalia, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm not understanding how these matchups play out because they don't have any permanent hate cards for that matchup. It's just one for one removal. Yeah, and the problem also is that Amalia just natively gains a bunch of life, so the clock from Phoenix is not as fast as they would normally like it to be. Hmm. Yeah, I, th I think Amali has a good matchup against Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix has a good matchup against all of the uh, Smuggler's Copter decks, though. Yeah, for sure. And then on the blue-white side, I've seen both 60-card and 80-card versions. The 80-card version is just playing Omen of the Sea, and I guess making temporary lockdowns better when you have the ability to just blink that with your Yorian. Is there anything interesting happening in these decks, or is it just a collection of reactive cards that happens to match up well? Yeah, it's just normal blue-white control. It just is a meta where their, you know, better matchups are better positioned against the rest of the field. All right, so that's a quick check-in on the state of high-level Pioneer. We'll, we'll shout out some interesting decks a little bit later. Anything else you want to add about the regional championship or changes from the ban? Yeah, I guess I think the, the latest set was really cool. It's just unfortunate that the only way history is going to remember it is that it sort of like created this Cascade deck, which is super lame. And then it created this Amalia deck, which is super lame. And there's like just like built in those combos. Now, the Cascade deck is a little harder to see how good it was going to be or not. But the Amalia deck, everybody like day one was like, oh, this card with Wild Growth Walker just makes it 2020 and kills all the blockers. So, yeah, that just felt like a really, really terrible design decision in a car that was otherwise cool. Um, you could tweak it out in a million other ways. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just really unfortunate that I think like a really cool set is just sort of like a victim of two strange design decisions. I just want to push back on the, I don't think there's anything wrong with designing cards that happen to have combos like this. I mean, they could have pre nerfed it if they'd identified this weird interaction in a format that is not a priority for them. If they'd identified that and like decided that it was like slightly too powerful, you could nerf it by adding a clause that I find very irritating, like triggers once per turn or something. I, I hate that clause. So if the lesson, if the message we're trying to send is stop letting things combo, I don't think that's the right lesson. I think it's just like, okay, this happens to be a very niche interaction. 
it's just like those two cars. It's just like so obvious, though. It's like if I, I don't know, if I had a car that's like whenever you play a one-two uh, creature that explore that uh, makes a a clue do something else, and then I print the and then, and then it just immediately like obviously with a car with the exact same mana cost just goes infinite. There's just no reason for it. Like it could go up to twenty power and do lots of other things because it's only going to get to twenty power specifically interacting with Wild Growth Walker. You don't have to put that clause in there at all. You could just say the gains life explore. There's no reason for it to sweep at 20 power. Or it could sweep at 10 power, which would actually make it more usable and standard, allegedly where this card is going to see play. Hmm. Like it goes up to exactly, exactly a lethal attacker. And it only is going to get through that through a combo. You're not going to gain 20 life or uh, whatever. You're not going to explore 20 times in a normal game of magic. So it's like it has no application anywhere else except for specifically this Wild Growth Walker combo. And then it threatens lethal for no reason. Or it just sweep at 40 life for Commander. Which is sure. I mean, they're, they're the, the, the point is, and it's, it's an insane uh, interaction. Like it takes forever to resolve all the triggers. It's even worse in paper. Like you have to go through it over and over again and document it. So it, it's also it, like it fails on every level. It's not an interesting card because of how they designed it. There wasn't like that much of a puzzle. Immediately, everybody, everybody on Twitter, us on our spoiler season said this is going to combo. It is really annoying to complete the interaction. It's not like a Splinter Twin where I'm just like, okay, do I have a response or not? So like we have to mechanically move 40, 50 cards at times. It, it, it like otherwise it's a really cool card. So there's just a few tweaks you could have made. And it just wouldn't be miserable. Or like if this is the fifth time it resolved this if it like like an omnath this is the third time it resolved this thing then you know it, it stops and you get to destroy a creature like you could you could have just done it in a way that like it's more of a lightsaber than uh, something as careless and stupid as a blaster to quote uh, obi-wan kenobi <laughs> it's like oh if you put these two cards together and they don't have and and there's not a specific response they just die it's like okay fine but the, the but the response takes forever like resolving the combo takes four or five minutes on magic online so it's like, why? What, what, what is this? I don't mind two cards comboing. That's great. <laughs> All right. So it's a combination. You have like many, many small grievances. But it sounds like of those, the one that's bothering you is the number 20. Like that being lethal. Or are you saying that they should have just like made it not interact with Wild Growth Walker at all? Well, fine. Then just have it kill me. Don't let's not even resolve it. Just like if you put Wild Growth Walker and this in play and gain a life and my opponent just dies. Like I don't want to wait for someone to resolve 40 explorers and they don't want to do it either. Like either I can respond or I can't. We both have to just sit there and like, okay, that one's in the graveyard. Okay. Land of the hand. I have to keep track of everything that they drew. Oh, well, are they just topping a card over and over again? I have to keep track of that. It's just like, it's ridiculous. All right. Okay. I, I could see like taking off the destroy all of the creatures clause. Like maybe that's, but without the destroy all of the creatures clause, it's an automatic draw or the, or a timeout. So you have to have some way to stop the, infinite thing which is why these only resolves once a turn is actually good because it stops these stupid interactions from taking four or five minutes every time to resolve i don't want them printing that clause on everything that kind of ruins it for other lesser combos this one just happens to be good enough it's like for a while i know you were annoyed on day one when people were playing this a lot on the ladder but then there was a two-week period where people were not winning with this because it there was a different broken combo that was faster. <laughs> well, exactly, right? So there's, there's always a chance that a combo that it's not just two cards, right? It's 
three or sometimes four if you add Dino, right? It's not like it's just automatically going to happen. So that it's fine to like let this be a thing for a while. Again, I don't I don't care I, about I don't the combo problem. I don't consider I don't consider this a design failure. I think it's fine. This is a design failure. All people know about this set is that it basically just instituted two combos. The whole point of Pioneer is we're supposed to be getting rid of these combos. We can't play with no. That's uh, what <laughs> walking ballista. We can't play with walking ballista. Which is like a turn oh five gosh. combo that can be interacted with. We have a way slower, way worse combo. I mean, it, it's just for no reason. There's there's a million tweaks you could have done. And so you have this really cool card, Amalia, that's people just associate with like the most annoying deck in the format. Significantly worse to play against than Lotus Field in terms of how long it takes for them to, to kill you. Okay. All right. Agree to disagree, I guess. So speaking of design... We have a couple cards from the next set that were teased about a week or two ago. These are cards from Murders at Karlov Manor. Now, there's a, another game called Ravnica Clue Edition that's being simultaneously released as a new way to play magic that somehow evokes the game of Clue. They actually didn't explain exactly how that works yet, but they did show us some of the cards you will get. And these are legal cards from the main set. And the biggest takeaway is that clues are back, baby. Clues are so back, so much so that there's another Thraven Inspector. You can now play eight Thraven Inspectors, David. Yeah, this is a detective, and there's actually some detective tribal support in the new format. So I guess this is maybe like strictly better. I don't know what the other type for Thraven Inspector is. Is it just a human? I think it's a soldier, which is... Okay, so not strictly better. There's some soldier support, I guess, but... They should have read of that, don't you think? <laughs> it's an inspector. Well, hmm, okay, I guess inspectors can be enlisted in the military. That's also fine. Yeah, novice inspector, ETB, investigate, exact same mana cost. Does this do anything for you? Um... I mean, do you ever want to play eight Thraven Inspectors? Probably the Convoke deck would still want to keep the red one drop. The Epicure? Instead of this, maybe they would play like 10. I mean, the Convoke deck is unplayable because of the Amalia combo, so it doesn't matter. Um, so I'm trying to think of a deck that specifically would want more Inspectors. I would say it's really good with Warden. Like if you if you're playing not red, the like turn one warden, turn two this or Thraven Inspector is very good. Yeah. Again, like warden is unplayable <laughs> into blue white control and Amalia, but like we could imagine some other series of cards that would be interesting. You're still like the the you've pointed this out. Like sacrificing clues is a real cost, and so mm -hmm. the more things you have that give you clues, it's like you're losing a lot of value. Like the first Raven Inspector is great. If you draw all four, you're probably not going to have time to play all these one twos and sacrifice the clues. So you need something else like, you know, an effect that taps the artifact that gets something out of it. Um, you know, a bargain, et cetera, et cetera. Like you need something like that. Just playing a bunch of one twos that have some draw attached to that for more mana. It, it's not worth as much. Like the fifth Raven Inspector you draw in a game probably means you've lost. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we were just overrating clues for most of our lives. And by we, I mean myself. Or if like magic has just moved on in the era of fire design where no one ever runs out of cards. It's almost to the point where you can just make anything a clue and it doesn't actually 
fundamentally change the power level of the card. Um, like this next card here, Lead Pipe, is a Bone Splitter that is also a clue. Uh, and it's not exactly that, right? It's a black to cast, and it's two to equip, so it's not actually a Bone Splitter. But the equipped creature gets plus two plus O. Oh. Whenever equipped creature dies, each opponent loses one life. But in addition to all of that, it is a clue equipment, which is very cute, very flavorful. So you just can sacrifice it uh, to draw a card and pay two mana. So I guess that, that effect, kind of like cycling from play, like that original Yafamaya Elder style card. <laughs> I guess you just like add that to whatever you want, and it doesn't actually make the card more powerful. It just makes the game smoother. Yeah, and that's kind of what it is. I mean, obviously, like Novice Inspector or um, Thraben Inspector, like these cards are good when you have things that can be crude for one mana, right? The body matters. So the body matters if it jumps in a Smuggler's Copter. Lead pipe is a little less interesting. So you need like a bunch of creatures that you want to crew up. And then eventually in the late game, you sack it to draw a card. I'm wondering if there's some way, like if you could somehow like equip it for free and just sacrifice creatures on a loop, you just kill your opponent. I don't exactly know what that would be, but yeah, I assume this lead pipe will not be interesting unless there are cards higher up the chain that, include text like sacrifice a clue to do some other effect and we did see one card like that basically in part because this, they were previewing ravica clue edition but almost all these cards make clues in some way so i'm expecting more ways to turn clues into other effects and if that's the case you know this just being another one mana clue means it's at least something to keep an eye on three been inspect or excuse me excuse me um Tireless Tracker, right, is an existing card that is not at Pioneer power level, but it does do something every time you sacrifice a clue. True, true. And we saw Candy Trail in Wilds of Eldraine, the food clue. So there's plenty of like, clues out there just waiting, waiting for the thing, someone to assemble all the clues. Uh, I'm excited to see what that would be. And just going back to this Novice Inspector idea, like, yeah, it is like a little bit annoying that if I want eight of that effect, I have to be in exactly Boros colors and that clues and blood are not the same. And that's that's probably good for, for the average game of Magic. You want a mix of clues and blood, but if you want to go hard on something and play, you know, effects like Tezzeret, Betrayer, or things that like specifically generate two mana to activate artifacts, then clues are just like better. You know, having the ability to like stack up on clue generators uh, is exciting, and we'll we'll see plenty more clue generators in the next few cards. Speaking of, uh, what do you make of deduce? I think this is the best card they spoiled. Um, this card seems really, really powerful to me. It reminds me of Think Twice, which is not Pioneer legal. So it's one a blue instant, draw a card, and investigate. So you get two cards for four mana and they've printed a million variants of that, right? That we've got the one that you can, you know, put on layaway for two mana then cast it later for two mana and you scry two and draw two. We've got the four mana instant, look at your top four, pick two, and then later spend seven mana, flash it back. We've got the one mana cycle, four mana instant draw two. This is the only one you actually get to cast on turn two. You store the clue in play. Um, I just think there's a bunch of uses for this. There's there's like transmogrify style builds you could play with this. Um, yeah, I, I I think this card is very powerful. I, I think there, I think this is going to find a home in in a bunch of different shells. Okay, so 
first question is if I'm playing generic control, let's say blue white or blue black, um, is this better than my existing options? Like, I, it seems like better than the foretell card just because it's in double instant speed. Yeah, I don't know if it's better than the three mana instant draw to which you were skeptical of, but it's just now mainstay as a two X in every control shell. Um, I don't know if it's better than that. I I suspect in blue-white it is worse because they are playing the enchantment that exiles all two mana or less permanents. So having a clue in play is actually not that big of a bonus. They're going to probably end up exiling it if they don't have enough mana to sack it beforehand. Uh, gotcha. So I think you want to be doing something, you know, pseudo-combo-ish with it. Are you... Um, okay, let... We're playing uh, Enigma Jewel. Deduce is just two mana, draw two. Right? I mean, that that's just like the simplest. Enigma Jewel on one, deduce on turn two is draw two for two mana. I just, that that's the level one. No one's having to think about anything. And, and then for, you can go from there. I think what we'll really unlock with deduce is what you were saying about, uh, not transmogrify, the one creativity right the one that actually can target the clue yeah. to turn it into a get top end threat this card seems way way better not way better but way cleaner than all the other artifact token makers and that if they're trying to stop you from doing creativity you're just going to two for one them as often as you like with deduce and just pull ahead that way Whereas previously you'd be looking at like talking yourself into a treasure or something and being like, okay, with a treasure, <laughs> you know, secrets of the key. I, I like secrets of the key, but I know it's not like a realistic way to spend your mana in a normal game of magic. And yeah, I mean, if they're just like picking up two for ones while the opponent's like holding up their interaction, trying to stop creativity from happening. Like I think the deck just gets way better. It's also so clean. Like people are like imagining, Oh, at the end of, big score or whatever, it's kind of the same interaction. It's like, yes, but the f mana cost up front of these cards is so much more, right? You're the one, a red and a blue instant that like makes a treasure and loots two or whatever. Like they keep explaining, this lets you leave everything up, whatever two mana counter spell you like on two. And then you just, it's out of your hand. And then there's a, there's the clue is in play from turn two on. So this helps you hit your land drops in a way that none of those other cards do. This card is just like very, very subtly super powerful, I believe. Right, like Prismari Command, this is way better than Prismari Command. Yeah. Like, like Prismari Command like does more, but it's a card you have to, again, try to convince yourself that you're not going card down, which you are. Right. <laughs> and that you're like happy to be playing Izzet in three colors, which maybe you're, maybe you're okay with that, but I'd rather just be getting a two for one. Yeah, and Prismari Command, at least now, could in theory kill Copter, right? So, whatever, you could maybe talk yourself into some of those as well. It's finally at its, maybe its best. But yeah, I think this this card is powerful in ways that are very subtle. The fact that it's common tells me that uh, Wizards doesn't even understand how good it is. All right. Demand answers. One and a red instant as an additional cost to cast this spell. Sacrifice an artifact or discard a card. Draw two cards. That's kind of shocking to me. So it's modal. So you, you can optionally do it as a discard a card, draw two at instant speed. That's the thrill of possibility. Or you can do it a little bit like, um, I guess, a deadly dispute, right? Sacrifice an artifact to draw two cards. And that effect we have not seen in red. That's actually kind of surprising. And you can do both on the same card. It's your choice. Really flexible card. 
Yeah, Thrill of Possibilities is a card I've been exploring uh, before the newest set came out. I, I haven't played with it since then as a as a card that's like just super powerful, super interesting. This is just a better version of that. So, I mean, at least in those shells I was playing, I'd just play four of these, of course, no questions asked. Um, are there specific artifacts that we want to sacrifice? Like, I don't know about that, right? And and so Deadly Dispute, I think, is just a better card unless the discard has relevance. So, you know, we think of these cards, and they're of course, they're great and limited because they can do one or the other. But when you're building your actual constructed deck, you want a specific thing you're going to do with it. And so it probably isn't that much better than, than Thrill of Possibilities. And it's hard to imagine it being better than Deadly Dispute, but there's, there might be some corner case where it is. Well, what was that new Deadly Dispute from the last set that no one's actually playing? So that makes a treasure and scries one. Or no, it makes a it makes a um some bad object. It makes a map. That's it, yeah. And a map is significantly worse than a treasure, as we found out. And yeah, I, I don't think that red black sacrifice plays any of them. So I guess part of my question is, are there decks that want more de- deadly disputes? Like demand answers plus deadly dispute. And if this is a space that I thought you were like messing with a little bit because I was trying to push Tyrion's journal during our set review as like additional ways to sack artifacts. And so, you know, I, I've looked to see if people have been adopting Tyrion's journal and Red Black Sacrifice. I've seen like all 5 list with one. Mm-hmm. And I think one 5 list with one of the ones that makes a, a, a map. But I think they've kind of settled on playing zero of either of those effects. So I don't think Demand Answers is a card that that deck wants. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure what, what you want it for. I do like that it's almost like an instant speed way to put something in your graveyard on the end of turn if we had like better reanimate effects. That's more what I think this card is is interesting for. Well, yeah, and if you're going to play it alongside Deadly Dispute or instead of Deadly Dispute, most likely that deck will be making blood tokens. So you have some discard element built in and maybe with the addition of demand answers, now you you have another route to just surprisingly get your fatty into the graveyard how to get it back out of the graveyard is a little bit unclear um there is that four mana card that i couldn't think of the last two times it's called shale dreads restoration so there is a way to get it back um cleanly at four you just have to lose life well cleanly you you have to pay the iron price <laughs> it, it does clean? exist it yes. exists <laughs> yeah cleanse yourself in order to cast it yeah. yeah so yeah i mean this is a cool card this is a powerful card I think I'm the only one who's been playing the red discard draw to. So obviously it's like not an effect people have been crying out for because of the dispute is so good. I don't think this goes in existing shell. So this is a card we have to think about a whole new deck for. Um, yeah. So you mentioned Terry's journal. What have you been exploring for that? I've been trying a bunch of shells. So in addition to Terry's journal, they also printed the worst shambling gas, the greedy freebooter. Mm-hmm. which scries and makes a treasure. It does not give minus one, minus one. So I tried a, a handful of shells where I was all in on sort of deadly dispute plus the eight one drops. Um, and I even went as high as four Tarion's journals just to try it since you were such a believer. Um, so I have a mono blacklist here. So it's four thought seize, four push, the four gas, four greedy freebooter, four journal, four deadly dispute, some two mana removal. A mephitic draft, uh, one Lord Skitter since it makes a bunch of tokens, and then four Archfiends, 
of the dross and two shieldreds. The thought being, a huge amount of the time I'm just going to sack my one drop, functionally just use my Tarion's Journal or Deadly Dispute as a ramp to play my four drop on three. My four drops are very threatening. We have so many sack effects in theory. Archfiend of the draw should never kill us. And uh, yeah, then we're just playing some interaction. Um, I think I played this before the ban. Yeah, and I think I went like 2-3 or 1-4. Like, you're just playing all these low-quality cards. Tarion's Journal is very powerful, but you have to play all these cards to feed it. Otherwise, it doesn't do anything. Um, you can even, like, I did this once. I played Tarion's Journal and then flipped my other Tarion's Journal with it on the stack. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, so that you can, you know, start buying back your Archfiends or whatever. Yeah, so I mean, you end up seeing a lot of cards, but your card quality is very, very poor, right? Shambling okay. Gas is not a powerful card. Greeting Freebooter is not a powerful card. Mephitic Draft is not a powerful card. Terran's Journal is not a powerful card. Lord Skidder is not that powerful of a card. Um, so you're kind of relying on drawing the right cards at the right times. And like, I was losing to Phoenix. I would just like resolve Leyline of the Void, turn zero. And then they would just like resolve their three mana Planeswalker. And like we just can't compete with them making a bunch of one ones every turn. It just I would just get smoked every time. It's like it's crazy that to think like oh I've got Terrian's journal up and I'm sacking all these things and it just doesn't matter. So without closing speed, you really have to draw into your Archfiend of the Dross early in the game. Uh, and they have to not answer it. If they do, you you know you're, you're drawing a lot of greedy freebooters. <laughs> hmm. Would it help to play? more finishers like it seems like you could support herald of anguish in this blood fountain version that i see you've got posted yeah so the the so then the, i have a second list that's not mono black it's a dispute into bring to light so the thought again is we deadly dispute or whatever our shambling gas we are able to bring to light for you know at least two colors to get our our valky but we're also splashing for Galazeth. Galazeth, like if you draw the right cards, this deck was super sweet. Like Galazeth plus the artifacts to cast a free bring to light plus be a blocker was awesome. Galazeth is also incredible with deduce, by the way. Mm. I think this list I went two, three, or three, two. I can't remember. Again, you're just like a bring to light list or a red black mid-range list that has a bunch of mediocre cards, and you kind of have to draw the right ones. The the five five guy is just not a good card. I just, I don't think it's good against anything. It's bad against Phoenix. They spend all red mana and put in the graveyard. It's bad against, well, the embers of mono green because their creatures are actually just bigger than it. They just attack through it very freely. I'm sure it's terrible against Amalia. <laughs> they just kill you when you play it. Um, no, it's only two mana to cast and you leave two mana up to kill their Amalia in response. Right? It's terrible against blue-white control, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's bad against... It takes out their hand, attacks their hand, blue-white control. It's never going to resolve. So, yeah, the problem with these other cards is, like, your finisher requires you to play all these poor cards to, like, enable them. And so you need to have a bunch of cards that are powered up by that. So Bring to Light was a lot better than the mono black version because Bring to Light lets you find your extinction event, you know, find your shield in matchups where it matters, find your uh, Valky, you know, on, on a clear board. Whereas the, the mono blacklist is just like playing a big dumb idiot. And if that isn't good enough or doesn't kill them fast enough and you're not supplying anything else to the clock because all you're playing is greedy freebooters and Tarion's journals. 
So yeah, just in general, I found like playing all these weak cards is tough. And in a format that at the time was very combo centric because we had the uh, cascade combo, you just aren't putting enough of a clock on, on anybody. Well, I noticed that a common factor in both builds is the four shambling gas and either three or four greedy freebooters. And when you say all these weak cards, I assume you're talking about those, right? Those are the weak cards. So what if I just find my artifacts somewhere else? I can still play Deadly Dispute. I can still play one or two Darius Journals. Well, what are you playing? What, what, what are we Deadly Disputing? Something that's... I'm not sure exactly. I just think of Deadly Dispute as something I'll cast in the mid-game after, you know, I'll get a two or three mana card that produces tokens. I haven't done a search for that yet, but yeah, I mean, the thing is I was just trying to see if we could like get to our four or five drops early. So I was using like the fact that deadly dispute makes treasure and shambling gas and greedy freebooter make treasure. So I see maybe what you're describing is good. I don't know how it would be different than red, black sacrifice, but we could imagine shells. That is an area to pursue. What I'm saying is this design of the deck is bad. I'm not saying deadly dispute is bad. I think the card is very powerful, but this type of shell trying to really lean into like, turn three bring to light with deadly dispute or turn three um six six is is not very good gotcha okay well the Tyrion's journal quest continues (laughs) perhaps into the new year a couple other cards from murders at karlov manor gleaming gear drake blue red artifact creature drake one one flying when gleaming gear drake enters the battlefield investigate and whenever you sacrifice an artifact for any reason, put a plus one plus one counter on Gleaming Gear Drake. It's a little bit of an Arc Bomb Ravager, or actually it works well with Arc Bomb Ravager, we should say. Bit of a two for one. You know, it's a body that may or may not matter. It's two artifacts at once. So there's a lot going on here. The base stats are pretty low. So I'm not sure if it's actually worth investing in, like, trying to grow this. But as an enabler, it seems okay, and it could potentially be a payoff if it grows. Yeah, at first I thought this card was very weak, and then now I've come to think that it's very good. Um, It might even see modern play, honestly. Like, if you just think of the loops where you're sacrificing um, the random food garbage package that they pre-built for us uh, over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, If you think of the... I guess the cat oven package, but just like anytime you're making like a deadly dispute with this, like sack a artifact, get a treasure, the treasure will be sacrificed. And unlike normal enablers, like the, um, the dragon sprite or whatever, this comes as a two for one. So, okay. If you kill it, I'm just sacrificing the artifact. Again, this is a card I'm interested in playing with Galazeth. Um, Galazeth makes a treasure, so that's already interesting with Gleaming Drake. There's three artifacts in play the turn I play Galazeth, so I just have a ton of mana up. Um, maybe we play the uh, the Red Sacrifice. Maybe we're playing Deduce along with this card. Why this isn't a dragon is just totally unknown to me. We just invented the Drake <laughs> creature type. Like, this being dragon is super... Not being a dragon is a super negative. I, I don't understand why we keep doing this with these creature types. Like, how is a Drake different than a dragon? What's going on here? They're prepping for the the Drake secret lair after the Post Malone secret lair. And then they'll be like, (laughs) Taylor Swift secret lair. (laughs) Yeah. This isn't a bird. It's a Swift. It's like, all right, fine. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so anyway, this is a card I'm looking forward to experimenting with. 
what we're noticing is more and more of these cards that are themselves artifacts that bring an artifact token with them. And in Pioneer, the payoff doesn't exist yet. I mean, we keep exploring <laughs> terrible cards like um, Inspiring Statuary or anything with Improvise, um, Herald of Anguish, etc. But in Modern, that does exist, right? There's the Affinity mechanic. And I don't know if this is going to crack that deck. Two artifacts there, you know, helps you cast your thought monitors, etc. And if you if you are playing Ravager, which they probably are not, uh, this gets big. It's an interesting card. Nice addition to the formats, both formats. Yeah. Another new addition to different formats, Lightning Helix, classic Lightning Helix, returns being printed into Standard and now for the first time into Pioneer. Lightning Helix, I mean, we think of this as a good card. It's hard to point to any recent successes that it's had. It's still played in Modern Burn. It's one of the weaker cards in that deck, the one that is most frequently you know, swapped out to when people want to try new things. What impact did you see Lightning Helix having on Pioneer? Very little. You know, the thing is that when we think of Lightning Helix being good in Modern, we're thinking back to when um, Jeskai Control was a thing. Jeskai, like, control mid-range-ish kind of thing. I think it won a Pro Tour. I think beating, um, what is the uh, Birthing Pot, right? Super cool final. I think people can find it maybe 2015. There is no need for this card anymore in Modern, obviously. I mean, you just play, paying <laughs> mana for spells is embarrassing. Um, the Splash is the problem, right? Splashing a third color in your control deck is going to do way more damage than the three life gain is worth. So then you're just straight up looking at Boros, and there is no burn deck in the format, and Red White's only existing deck is Convoke. Convoke happens to be at a relative low because of the other format uh, shaping cards. So there's really no home for it to go in. Yeah, in Pioneer, it's it's not significantly different than Lightning Strike, in my opinion. It's probably worse than Lightning Strike, unless there's like some kind of chip damage scenario that I, I'm not seeing right now, where that three life actually matters. Yeah, I mean, of course, I've, I'm always open to the idea of like trying to play like a fair deck with that 3-1 like zombie vampire that comes back if you gain three life or something like that. But I mean, th those decks are just, I mean, we're not fringiest of the fringe i mean you, you have to really like start to scratch your brain to make that three life matter uh that, that's kind of interesting actually when we originally built five color niven modern i don't think lightning helix was actually like an important part of the deck we played some number of copies but it was i thought you were playing four at the time i think it was important to not die <laughs> i think we played some but Anyway, it was Boros, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the Boros hits when we thought you had to have hits in every color, and that's just yeah. no longer the case. Um, but, I mean, if I was going to resurrect the Galazeth Bring to Light with Niv-Mizzet, I could put Lightning Helix in, but the colors just don't make sense. It's just not worth it. Yeah, I mean, Niv-Mizzet is not a deck in any format, um, so look, that's not a consideration. There isn't a red-white control list. Because you can't play control in Pioneer without counter magic because there's so much combo uh, and other and like control control. So yeah, it's 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 a very good card without a home right now. All right, so those are the new cards from Murders of Karlov Manor that caught my eye, and you'll notice that they're all cheap. They're all cost two. They are all enablers or 
just clean effects in some way. And they previewed more higher up the curve, some complicated rares. Do any of these catch your eye, David? Or I don't know if it'll be good, but I do like Alquist Proft Master Sleuth. So this is one, a white and a blue for a human detective. Three, three. Vigilant. When it enters the battlefield, investigate. So again, with, if you don't do any of the complicated stuff, okay, you play this and then they terror it. You still got a clue. You got something for your troubles. Mm-hmm. It has a really cool ability, which is blue, blue, white, X, tap, sack a clue. You draw X cards and gain X life. So the clue natively sacrifices itself for two mana. So to get an extra card, we have to spend an extra three mana um, to get one extra card and two extra life, right? But we have Enigma Jewel and the Omen Hawker as cards that give you this like de facto extra mana. Now, those are cards you'd want to play with clue generating creatures anyway. So, okay, I've got Enigma Jewel in play. I play Alquist Prof. Maybe it dies, maybe it doesn't. If it dies, then Enigma Jewel just turns this into a straight up two for one. Okay. For no mana. That's pretty interesting. But if it lives, now we're talking about we play our fourth land, Enigma Jewel turns this guy, he gets to attack and block, right? So he can, okay, I block there, whatever. Bone Crusher Giant. Then I get um, three cards and three life out of the clue that uh, Elquist made. So I think specifically in the Enigma Jewel Omen Hawker Shell. This is a card I want to try out because I already was experimenting with a bunch of other stuff. Okay, I do like that. That that is pretty slick. <laughs> and and again, the key is okay. We we joke we joked about it. Oh, we can staple adding an extra card onto this matters. It's not the normal rare that they print where okay sometimes it dies and doesn't do anything. It always gives you a clue. That's something. And if we have ways to turn that clue into a card for very cheap. And the cards that do that work well with a clue also work well with the Alquist Proft ability. So I, I, that's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and this guy is actually a two for one, whereas the lead pipe is not. The lead pipe just cycles itself. But this guy, just like you're saying, they kill him because you gotta kill the Sphinx's revelation on a stick, <laughs> and you still have your clue left over. So yeah, and you can draw into anything, even another master sleuth. <laughs> It is a legend. Again, like, I'm, well, let's just talk about this. We liked the um, Malkator. That was a blue-white legend that made artifacts that cares about artifacts coming into play. This is another blue-white legend that makes mm. an artifact. You can play it with um, the um, a Mox Amber in that shell. Okay. All right. I'll add this back to my list of cards to keep an eye on. Uh, anything else? Not I. I kind of like the Aurelia, but it, it five mana is just too much. So I, I wish they had made it less powerful and one mana cheaper. Maybe Aurelia, real quick. Three red, white, flying, vigilant, haste. Whenever all player attacks with three or more creatures, you draw a card. So that used to be more interesting when like Convoke was in play. So you'd play this Convoke to attack you would have to give you um a card, and then. When a player attacks with five or more creatures, it deals three damage to each of your opponents and you gain three life. So you don't even have to like really build around this. It's almost like a like a hate pair kind of that also can attack um, in, in certain circumstances. But at five, if it was four mana and had similar abilities, maybe they were slightly weaker, then then I think this card would be very interesting. Maybe, maybe yeah, it should yeah. be miserable. I mean, both of her static texts, 
attacking with three creatures, attacking with five creatures, those are really hard to pull off. So putting those on a five drop is just not going to happen. Yeah, I just like that it's a player, though. So, like, if you get attacked with three creatures or five creatures, like, Convoke is going to have to attack you with five creatures, and so you're going to get three life out of it. Yeah. But Convoke doesn't exist anymore, really, and this card is five mana, not four, so what are we talking about? All right, we'll be back soon, I'm sure, with more previews. But in the meantime, let's continue our work with the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. So we're going to take a look at some new brews that David's been kicking around. Um, some decks you've been playing. Um, I also got to test out one of the Inti brews that I had my eye on. So we'll jump to that now, and then maybe if there's time at the end, we'll look at a few interesting pieces of tech that have been floating around the format from other players. That sound good? Yeah, excellent. So, Helping Hand. Helping Hand. Interesting little card. Single white sorcery. It's unearthed, but without the cycling. And it also brings your creature back tap so worse on all fronts not a consideration for modern at all for that reason um, unless there's some really important color shifting happening that i'm not thinking of however we don't have unearth in pioneer and just for that alone whenever they make something that's newly cheap uh, at least gets our gears turning and we've already talked about you know three or four helping hand concepts in our kind of first bruise episode so i want to kind of follow up on that because when I looked to see what other people are doing with Helping Hand, I found zero results. <laughs> this card has not 5-0'd at all. And it's making me question like whether I just fundamentally misunderstood whether this effect is even useful at all. So what do you make of that, David? Like, Are we just barking up the wrong tree here? No, I, I don't care about anyone else's 5-0 results. The level of brewing in Pioneer is embarrassing. So I think also with the RC coming up and the banning... Everybody is really locked into, you know, making the best version of decks that they know are pretty good already, right? So it was changing the last two cards in your Amalia deck, changing, you know, picking uh, what your sideboard uh, juke is going to be in blue-white control. So there's, there's very little brewing happening in Pioneer. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, in that case, let's, let's talk a little bit more about Helping Hand then. I played one of the decks that we talked about a couple episodes back. Finally got a chance to try it out. This is the Boros Cycling deck featuring Flourishing Fox, featuring the powerful Dranith package of Dranith Stinger and Dranith Healer, a couple Zenith flares on top, and a bunch of cards that just like cycle for one colorless mana. This was a thing when Akoria was legal and standard. It was somewhat reasonable in Pioneer for like a month. What's new? Well, I thought that Helping Hand would allow me to get back the Dranith Stingers whenever I needed to. I thought that'd be a very efficient way to just like get threats in play. And I thought that having these cyclers would mean that the helping hand was like, quote unquote, never dead because, you know, surely I'll have stuff in my graveyard. And then on top of that, I thought that Inti, the Seneschal of the Sun, was going to be a really, really powerful addition to like actually make this deck have a card advantage engine. Because cycling is just spinning your wheels, but if Inti's in play, every time you cycle, you draw a card and you exile a card that turn. Inti lets you, again, uh, be a little more aggressive, so I added Flameblade Adepts in addition to Flourishing Foxes for more quick openers, and I thought that maybe Inti giving me a discard outlet plus another powerful creature to bring back with Helping Hand would give this deck a little bit more of a... 
little more juice to maybe keep up in Pioneer. So I took this into a league and it was, it was an absolute mess, David. I was quickly disabused of some of my assumptions. <laughs> I managed to squeeze out two wins against the Blue-White Yori Index. Uh, I lost a match to Four-Color Omnath, where if I went back and watched the tapes, it's possible that me repeatedly misclicking and accidentally casting Footfall Crater on a land instead of cycling it, because I'm rusty. <laughs> I'm rusty on the client. <laughs> that may have cost me the match, but it didn't feel like I was doing anything powerful, and I was just utterly destroyed by um, Green White Angels and the Mono Black Copter decks. And when I say utterly destroyed, it's not like I couldn't do anything, right? This deck cycles, I was doing my thing, but my thing was just way less powerful than what Pioneer is currently doing. The problem specifically is this Dranith stuff is just useless, right? That's can't, I didn't even come close to winning with that in any of these games. Um, so yeah, just a reminder. So Dranith Slinger does a damage to an opponent whenever you cycle, right? Not discard cycle. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's not strictly true. Like I would get some damage in with Fox, get some damage in with Inti, and then, you know, they'd be at like somewhere between three and seven life. And then maybe Dranith would finish them off just barely or not. But it wasn't like a powerful thing. I was very often just like drawing a Dranith in the mid game and be like, man, this sucks. I'm going to cycle this and hope to draw something better unclear to me what the something better was it was kind of like zenith flare inti or bust those were the only cards that felt capable of keeping up with even a single omnath or a single shieldred or whatever else the opponents were doing so many cards in the format um that just cost more mana just completely outclass the core of the cycling deck so um yeah lessons learned just drop the draneth package that's a mistake um, similarly, this idea that Helping Hand would make the Drana stuff better, that, that was also just not a thing, right? I would often just like have a Helping Hand in my hand and look at my graveyard. There's like a Draneth healer down there. And I'm like, okay, I don't really want to do that. Um, maybe there's a Flourishing Fox I can get back. And it's also just like not a thing, right? Because um, a mid-game Fox is not very good either. So I found that I often wanted to get rid of my Helping Hands and that was quite alarming. It, it seemed that one of the mistakes I made was thinking that Helping Hand would always be turned on, when in fact, you just need a way to get rid of it. Especially because since, you know, I have Zenith Flare, people were bringing in the Rest in Peace. They're like, oh, I see, he wants to use the graveyard. Let's do Rest in Peace. So the Helping Hands were actually a little bit of a liability here. Um, getting back into you was very good. So that, that did happen, but it just made me think that you know, the, I was just looking at the wrong cycling shell. I should have gone back to what you had originally built, David, which notably did not have the Draneth package. <laughs> you were playing Riel with Flourishing Fox um, with the Valiant Rescuer. And I think maybe that's the way to go. Like Helping Hand getting back Riel actually would be powerful because Riel was cycling, as you discovered, is like super good. I'm actually not sure if Inti would actually be part of that deck or not. Yeah, so one of the things we noted is that Helping Hand targets up to CMC 3, right? So in theory, to get the most value out of it, you'd want to target a 3-drop. You have no 3-mana casting cost creatures. And so I think it's not maybe surprising that only the most recent printed card, so therefore the most powerful card, <laughs> uh, is the one you're excited to Helping Hand back. So like you say, Helping Hand Inti, 1-mana for an Inti is very good. Uh, and Inti triggers without it being untapped. It can, you know give trample to your flourishing fox etc so yeah i mean it sounds like at least you kind of solve the riddle at least in terms of how to improve it but yeah i mean 
when you have a note here shielded greater than entire Dranus package, I'm not surprised. Each cycling does a damage to them <laughs> and two damage to you. <laughs> and they get a four or five out of the deal. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like I didn't quote unquote have outs to Shieldred, but we know by now that's just not how it works, right? Like I have yeah. 10 to 12 cards in my deck that kill Shieldred, but I'm still going to lose to it. it right. It doesn't actually solve my fundamental problem. So my suggestion is scrap this for now and look at the Jeskai more controlling uh, real cycling package. And then, yeah, maybe play Helping Hand. I don't think Zenith Flare should belong. If, if you're playing any card that invites them to attack your graveyard, then you need actual ways to get rid of the Helping Hand, which I did not have. Speaking of which, uh, that's a concept that you have built into the other deck that we talked about, which I think was an Esper Monastery Mentor brew. So did you get a chance to try this, David? Yeah, I played this list to a 2-3 uh, in the early stage of the format. So Copter was not yet legal, and there was a ton of Cascade all over the place. Um... So, okay, you can't glean that much from that. And I had a totally different sideboard. But the few things that I did learn that helped me were my mana base was misbuilt. So what I have here updated is significantly more white sources. I was losing. I never lost a game when I actually just played my mana out to, to turn three. I won all those games. Um, when I was missing white sources, that's when I was losing. So upgraded our mana a little bit. Um, I think I added Arafine. And other than that, the deck actually plays super smooth. So the sideboard here, maybe you still want to tweak out a little bit. Um, but yeah, like the the nut draws are, are actually unstoppable. Like you play Evangel of Synthesis on two. And then you helping hand back Rafine or Monastery Mentor with like disruption up. And you are just golden. It's, it's so powerful. Also, Monastery Mentor making a bunch of creatures and then playing Rafine after that is just about as good as it gets. In fact, the Nutra is so good, I'm thinking that I'm going to maybe play this without Ledger Shutter. And instead replace it with the uh, the Picklock Prankster. Because what I really want is on turn three, I want to have a Monastery Mentor or some three-drop in my graveyard and Helping Hand in my hand. Um, and Ledger Shutter can't do that. Ledger Shutter actually does not allow you to do the best things that this deck can do. Hmm. Even on turn three, if you want, let's say you play it, it somehow doesn't die. You still have to cast two spells to get the Monastery Mentor in your graveyard to loot a single time. So I actually think it's like it's weird to say because we the fact that we don't have free spells that we want to play. Ledger Shredder does not actually line up very well with the, the Helping Hand Monastery Mentor thing. Although we know it's a very powerful card. We know, we know it's very good, but typically Blue Red List will play mentor ledger shutter on three anyway and that's what i want to be doing my monastery mentor thing so i think i, I think i might try the prankster surprised that evangel synthesis is better than ledger shredder in this context i was worried that the evangel will be not providing it enough of like a discard outlet because it only does that thing once well ledger shredder often does this thing zunts zero times <laughs> okay huh like if you if you look at the play pattern of Blue Red Phoenix, what they often do is they leave their mana up, they pick lock prankster on your end of turn on for two. Then they'll play Shredder plus a spell. That's their turn three normally. 
to get a 2-4 shredder that puts a phoenix in the graveyard. We're just imagining their best draws. Okay. And then in theory, they found a treasure cruise with their um, prankster. So the fact that we don't want to do that, our turn three, we don't want to play shredder plus spell. We want to play helping hand. I think I at least need to lean all the way in on the best draws of this deck and see how good that is. Okay. It also makes treasure cruise better, so maybe I could play the full four cruise. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see this work. It seems like such a sweet show. So I know this was a long time ago. The format has changed, but assuming you fixed the mana issue, you think that this still the concept is still viable? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Mentor is very good. We still have all the disruptive elements, right? So we have push and thoughtsy, so we can, you know, interact with, um, you know, whatever blue eye control. We just talked about enigmatic, and we talked about Amalia, right? As the maybe the three best decks. Fatal push and thoughtsies, <laughs> in various concentrations, are good against them. And the fact that we have like Evangel and Rafine to loot away the cards that are bad is also very useful, right? Like so, Evangel synthesis can put Monster and Mentor in their graveyard. Also in the late game, it can turn a fatal push, which is bad against blue light control into anything else, right? So looting has a generic upside in the format that is as polarized as this one is. Okay. So some promising stuff to explore in the older helping hand brews, but we did not stop there. We're determined to get a 5-0, get a helping hand on the scoreboard. And to do that, David, you've got a wild concept here. Um, I see four helping hand and then I see a bunch of cards that I have to put into scryfall now to figure out exactly what's going on. It looks like this is a mutate combo with Vage Rock Apex of Thunder and Double Major, but I'll let you explain how this works. So I don't know if you want the combo or not. The 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 package I'm interested in is Vage Rock, Lord Draxus, Polywog Symbiote. And you need another body probably. And again, here we can play Ledger Shutter, which naturally we're going to see two spells a lot of times. So Polywog Symbiote makes our creatures cheaper, our, our mutate creatures cheaper. Okay. And loots, right? So every time we cast a mutate creature, we get to loot. Well, looting is good because of helping hand. And one of the things that is bad about Vadrock is, okay, they kill the creature that Vadrock targets, fine. Vadrock in play is a very powerful card, has to die. Again, it's a three-mana creature, so when we helping hand it back, we're getting a lot of value out of that. And helping hand targeting Vadrock puts sorcery or instant directly into the graveyard, so anything that mutates onto Vadrock at that point immediately gets the helping hand back. So you can imagine we cast Polywog Symbiote, we cast Vadrock, maybe we loot away a spell and we cast that for free. That's what they do nothing. If they do something, they kill our Vadrock. They thought sees our Vadrock. We can helping hand Vadrock, Lord Draxus, target Vadrock, cast the helping hand if there's a creature in our graveyard, or get it back to our hand with Lord Draxus. And if we have another spell in our graveyard, we just cast that for free. So it sets up this like grindy exchange where we're just constantly getting helping hand back into our hand to get back the creatures if they ever die. Okay, so you've managed to find in these forgotten mutate creatures. Essentially, snapcasters that that don't exile, that don't that don't exile, that don't exile. Yes, that's kind of mind blowing. You're expanding my brain to new horizons. I just don't believe that you can actually cast Polywalk symbiotes, Vadrox, and Lord Dracuses. I mean, they're they're kind of bad, right? I mean, that's got to be the weak link in the deck. 
I don't know. I mean, I haven't played with Vaderock since we were uh, recording with Wizards. <laughs> I think we had a Vaderock week. Um, Correct. <laughs> so the only play Vaderock has really seen in Pioneer is with the double major. I included it in this list. You see, I'm not playing any green mana, though. So I haven't like built the list to include this. Mm-hmm. You can build the deck with double major in there as a combo finisher. So the way it works, for people who might not know, is you need a Vaderock mutating on the stack. You cast double major targeting it. You copy the creature, which is the Vaderock, with your double major, but the trigger's still on the stack, and you repeat it over and over again. So you basically get two, three, and four copies, and each time you're targeting the double major and one other spell. So you just need Play With Fire or Spike Field Hazard or Fiery Temper in your graveyard, and you begin to um, damage your opponent infinitely. Right. But it's a whole new color. Typically, p- people play um, Sylvan Carry Added in this kind of shell because it is uh, resistant to opponent's removal. So I, I don't think I'm going to play Double Major. I think I'm going to just try to play this as like a super grindy value list. You could replace the Double Majors with um, exactly like we were describing in the other list, Monastery Mentors. The Mentor tokens are not human, so they can be mutated onto if, if that's something that you need. Um you could play Is It Charm as a card that interacts in, in, a, in a multitude of different ways. Um, you could play the um, two and a blue learn, uh, bounce a spell back to your hand or a creature as a card you can cast over and over and over again. Um, so there, there's a bunch of different options there, but I, I think I'm going to try this without double major. I think I'm going to just try to make this deck just like super grindy, super interactive and, and see, is it too clunky? Um, or or is or is it actually you know reasonable? Another concern I have is that Helping Hand can bring back our creatures directly into play, but that's not going to trigger any of their mutate stuff, right? So I'm not actually sure that that helps us that much, right? You still need to actually have a second mutate creature from hand to make either of them do anything. That's not useless, right? Like if you you Helping Hand get a Vage Rock back, you have Vage Rock in play as just like a three three flyer, and then eventually you'll draw a, a second mutate creature. And then do your thing. But just like the turns you cast Helping Hand, that by itself doesn't seem to help you. And that's what I'm a little bit concerned by. Well, it it's the same as true of Monastery Mentor or whatever. You need other spells. Yeah, but Monastery Mentor, you need like, <laughs> uh, consider it an Ops and Fatal Pushes. But Helping Hand, you need Lord Dragons <laughs> and additional copies of Vage Rock, which they're just like a little bit sketchy, right? Well, I think Vaderock is legitimately just a super powerful creature. Um, mm-hmm. Polywog Symbiote, I mean, uh, one again, Ledger Shredder just dies also the turn it comes into play. Polywog Symbiote has a lot higher upside than Ledger Shredder does, if you're not playing Phoenix. The only reason that Ledger Shredder sees any play at all in the format is because it can loot away a Phoenix you're getting back for free. If you aren't doing that, no one's playing Ledger Shredder. It's just a value card. Yeah. So that includes, like... Grease Fang, right? There's not a Grease Fang list that plays Ledger Shredder because it's, it is not a reliable source of looting. Hmm. Okay. Again, again, you can play the Picklock Pranks are over the Ledger Shredder here. That, that, that's a, a thing you might consider. Yeah, it's tricky because then the curve gets a little bit messed up, but you have to find time to actually cast the Prankster. Um, but maybe that's fine. Like maybe you're not in any rush. To, to win the game or to interact. Plenty of time to set up the picklock prankster. All right, anything else on a helping hand or should we move to some other concepts? 
Yeah, I think I think Helping Hand is very powerful. Um, and they're going to keep printing super powerful one-drop creatures, or excuse me, three-drop creatures. I mean, they're, 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 the power level that they're infusing in the cheaper creatures is going up every year. So, you know, we just talked about the uh, blue-white legend that was three mana. You could imagine playing Malkator, right? That's a one mana for four power body, and it's easier to put extra artifacts in play if you're only spending one mana to put the Malkator in play. So those are the kind of things you need to think about is, what three drops would it be nice if you cast them and then you didn't have to do something else afterwards? I mean, what I would love is, like, one line that was very cool was cycling something and then getting it back with helping hand now the drannis are not good but maybe some other creature will be printed that puts itself into the graveyard automatically and you can just helping hand it back yeah i was kind of looking for cards with channel and nothing really did it for me yeah i think it hasn't been printed yet but no soon soon there will be yes a of course powerful three mana play like the trumpeting carnosaur but for three yes <laughs> All right, so a couple other ideas. Where do you want to go next? All right, I've still been trying to make uh, up the Beanstalk work in uh, Pioneer. I know uh, Lot 11 had some cool ideas right at the, when Up the Beanstalk came out. Um, I've played against a few of his shells. People have adopted some of his ideas and, and tried to keep going with them. They haven't had a lot of success lately, so I don't know if that's just bad luck or maybe he's moved on to other things or, or other people have uh, have tried other stuff. But one thing I was trying to think of is how do you get, you know, a density of five plus mana spells into your deck without making your deck full of expensive cards. Mm -hmm. um, and people have tried up the beanstalk with bring to light. That makes sense. When you have up the beanstalk in play, you bring to light for Valky. You actually end up casting the seven mana side. Okay. You get two cards. That's great. The other thing I was thinking about is release to the wind actually has you cast the spell. Mm. So if you release to the wind Valky and you cast it, uh, the the backside, you would trigger up the Beanstalk. Same for Phyrexian Fleshgorger. So we kind of have a way, and Release to the Wind in a pinch can also just target up the Beanstalk since up the Beanstalk cycles. So <laughs> Release to the Wind can't just be a three-mana cycle like your, like your Tri-Lands. And it has some corner case stuff against tokens or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I have, I have a list here that's just four Valky, four Release to the Wind. Those types of shells haven't been as popular. The reason it's a little more attractive now is because one of the big decks is Amalia, which plays no removal main, right? So much more likely to be able to get your Valky thing happening uh, if, if a deck that you're going to see maybe once uh, or twice a league doesn't actually play creature removal. Uh, and same with Phyrexian Fleshgorger. Very easy to race an Amalia that doesn't actually combo because you hit them for three, they won't block, and then you release to the wind, you get your 7-5 uh, that they can't target. Um, you're still playing a Meat Hook Massacre, you're still playing Four Bring to Light, you're still playing Valky, and then you're just playing your interaction suite, right? Four Sylvan Carry added, uh, four Push, four Thought Seize, two Abrupt Decay. The thing I like best in what you said is that Release to the Wind can cycle the Up the Beanstalk. I think Release to the Wind is a major liability, made even worse by the fact that you have to play four Valkys to make it sort of plausible. So adding this release valve for release to the wind to just cycle it is at least something yeah that's a really promising idea the flesh gorger i've always been like <laughs> a skeptic <laughs> so if i release the wind of and flesh gorger i've spent six mana total and what did i really get for that i just don't feel like i got anything for that and I, I know that i'm underselling how problematic the seven five lifelink menace with ward is but 
I've still paid plenty of mana for that. I use two cards. If I have up the beanstalk, I guess I get one of the cards back. But is that actually powerful? Probably not. It's just a question of density. Uh, you need again, up the beanstalk is making you play a density of effects. You can also just cast it on seven, right? We're a deck that's playing, you know, twenty-eight mana sources with the Sylvan Caryatids. Hmm. So yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think it's like an interaction I'm excited to put in my deck, but you need to have, if you're going to play four up the beanstalk, you have to have enough cards that might trigger it at some point. Yeah, I see. And you don't necessarily have to, you know, you just, you can play it on three and you block their, their graveyard trespasser, right? So that's a card that's normally good against control that you're just up life against, right? Like sometimes that's just how it's going to play out. Okay. Or against, you know, whatever red, white convoke, you just, you have a blocker on three, right? That the control deck normally wouldn't have. And you have this corner case where you can do more, more with it. Hmm. Okay. The dream of the beans is alive and pioneer. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, I see a black white list with our old friend invasion of Gobicon, but now being complimented by the kind of new darling of the format, the deep cavern bet. And by a new darling, I mean that this is a card that people are now playing 4X in one of the builds you'll run into, which is like a mono black copter list. Yeah, so one of the things that I liked is Gobicon and Deep Cavern Bats give us a rule of eight. And the rule of eight is of two mana cards that are at least on the right power level that exile a card. Um, and that means that Wasteland Strangler is turned on on turn three. So you just could have a natural curve of Deep Cavern Bat on two, Exile, you know, whatever, their removal spell, turn three, Wasteland Strangler, kill their creature in play, Exile, the or get the rid of the card under Deep Cavern Bat. Now you've de facto two for one with each of those effects, right? Deep Cavern Bat is a 1-1 one, one lifelink that exiled a card, and Wasteland Strangler is a, a three mana, three two that got rid of a card from there, from play. Now, unfortunately, the the format is not very creature-centric right now. So this was more when I thought um, Smuggler's Copter was going to be kind of the thing to do. But uh, this would only be good against Amalia Combo, which, would, which it would be excellent against. But it's not going to be good against Blue-White Control. Um, and it's not going to be very good against uh, Enigmatic, unfortunately. Um, the other thing that's cool is that Smuggler's Copter interacts very well with Gobacon. You can play Smuggler's Copter on two. You can play Gobicon on three, take their removal spell, play a one drop, um, crew up your copter. It has three power flying. Gobicon has three uh, life points or what do we call it? Toughness. I don't know what we say for battles. So it naturally just curves into um, killing the Gobicon and pumping the copter. To the point that I think my updated shell, I would cut a Wasteland Strangler. I would cut a Graveyard Trespasser and I would play three Thraven Inspectors just so you have more one drops to crew your copter with. Yeah, it's it's a bit light on one drops for a four copter deck. And I'm wondering if you have so many ways to attack the hand here. You have four Thoughtseize, four Deep Cavern Bat, and four Gobicon. Do you think maybe that's overdoing it? And that some of those should just be creatures? Well, Deep Cavern Bat is a creature. That's the whole point. I guess maybe, like, do you need all these Thoughtseizes? I mean... Again, I think you do because, I mean, we just listed the, the decks in the format and Enigmatic and Blue-White Control, right? Fatal Push is not a good card against them. You have Copter to loot away the cards you don't want. But we're also saying we think this deck is bad against Control. And if that's the case, then... 
Well, but I mean, we can take steps. You don't have to play the full four Wasteland Stranglers. I mean, I think Obacon is just a playable card by itself. Okay. And the other thing is you kind of have a lot of gated decisions. If you take out too many cards at Exile and you can't really play any Wasteland Stranglers at all, um, right, et cetera, right. et cetera. And Wasteland Strangler and Deep Cavern Bat are creatures for Smuggler's Copter. So, I mean, we have nine, uh, 17, 18 creatures in this list as currently constructed. I would like to see more Eldrazi processors. As clunky as that was, it's just feels like the Eldrazi have been completely abandoned and forgotten. Like you could you could just print Eldrazi Temple in the Pioneer. It wouldn't even be that good of a deck. Because the Eldrazi themselves suck. Yeah, I was trying to find the Eldrazi that let you discard, make them discard, and it is wild how bad it is. It's like a three and a black for like a two three or something. And it can process yep. a card to make them discard. Yep. Just like yeah, I I don't know what happened there. That that set was except for the fact that it had like Thought Not Seer was like wildly weak. That in the original Ixalan, it was, a, it was a dark time for magic. Thought Not Seer is not a playable card anymore, even in Pioneer. Like it's. Oh, it's not even close. Well, in Pioneer, there's no reason to play Eldrazi if you can't cheat the mana cost, and we don't have the land that lets us cheat the mana cost. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so maybe it's not time yet for the Wasteland Strangler deck. I'm not going to give up hope, but uh, we move on to another concept. And here we're looking at some decks that you have played, actually. Yeah, so when the um, when Smuggler's Copter was unbanned, I was like, oh, it, now is a really good time to play Lauren of the Third Path because lots of decks have Smuggler's Copter. By the time I got around to playing this, because I was getting ready for the end of the year at work, etc., Amalia had already took over. There really aren't that many Smuggler's Copters lists in the format at all. Um and Phoenix just happens to have a natively good matchup against Smuggler's Copter because you tap a creature and you try to attack with Copter and Copter dies for one mana. So whatever, bear with me. But the thought process was Phoenix is one of the best decks in the format. Copter, in theory, was going to be one of the best decks in the format. And Control to fight those cards was supposed to be one of the best cards in the format. And the Narset package with Lorien added is actually good against all of them. Narset, they don't have to draw with Copter, but not letting them loot with Copter is relevant. Lauren blowing up Copter is good. Lauren blowing up Fable is good. You know, Lauren blowing up whatever. You know, there's there's a lot of enchantments and artifacts in the format. More than, more than there mm. ever has been. It's, it's actually good against Red Black Sacrifice because they have Fables and Ovens, etc., etc. Um, Narset is good against Control. Obviously, Narset is good against Phoenix. So you have this shell that's very interesting. Um... The mana fixing is much better than the last time we tried to do this. And Path of Peril is actually a great sweeper against a lot of the cheaper decks. And because we're splashing white, it's easy for us to cast it. It's just a six mana sweeper later in the game if we need to. So yeah, we're playing three Lauren, four Narset, two Days Undoing, two Path of Peril, three Notion Thief, two Shieldred, one Shark Typhoon, cheap removal, one Cling, one Rona's Vortex, Two Vanishing Burst, two Baleful Mastery, four Sensor, 25 lands, one of which is a Gyre Reach Sanitarium. And yeah, the leak actually played out really well. I crushed Phoenix twice. That was the theory. It executed itself perfectly. Uh, played two super aggressive decks, uh, Red, White, Convoke, and Mono Red. Uh, split matches against them, so lost to the Mono Red list in a very close three games and beat Red, White, Convoke in a very three uh, close three games. It's a little bit better than you'd think because after board you have extinction events, you have meat hook massacres and Cletus plus all your um, shieldreds. So you can basically just take out your whole Narset combo thing 
and your deck's just like almost a normal control. And then I lost to a weird like mono black invoke list that was playing the 2-4 vampire. Um, and I kind of misboarded against them in the sideboard. I didn't realize that they were playing any creatures at all because the first game all they did was just like shield and edict my Narsets over and over. Um, I actually think we're well positioned there. I just strange draws and, you know, what can you do? But uh, Lauren was not actually that good because I didn't play against a single copter deck. Uh, against Mono Black Invoke, I did get to blow up um, an artifact. Uh, the two mana artifact that once it gets four counters, you gain four life. Mm. So it was awesome there. And then, you know, I just drew all of my fatal pushes against a deck that had no creatures. So Lauren is an essential part of the deck, though, right? Like you, you wouldn't just play this without the white splash. I don't think blue black is well positioned now, particularly, although it's good against Phoenix and it's good against blue white control. So it's probably good against enigmatic. Maybe it is good. Yeah. So if, if, the, if copter is not a big part of the format, then the white splash is not as needed. It's a very light splash, right? There's three lore and two vanishing verse and then like a single rip in the sideboard and that's it. Um, Path of peril gets worse without the white as well. Uh, okay, I see what you're saying. It's a really good sweeper to be able to access both sides of. The mm. existing black sweepers on three are actually not very good. But again, Convoke has been kind of chased out. Path Apparel is pretty good against um, mm. Amalia, but you know it's not like a deal breaker or anything. So what was going on with the mono black Invoke? You're talking about Invoke Despair, right? The five, yeah. five mana big spell, but they were also playing the bloodletter that doubles life loss no the the two four that you don't like that when it attacks they make a one one life link or draw a card depending on our life totals oh the two four that i don't like okay so yeah. i thought you meant the two four that i do like and i got very no, no, excited no. <laughs> they were not playing the bloodletter uh, preacher that's the the one i don't like yeah so like i didn't have a lot of removal in my deck in the post board games because i was like okay they didn't play a single creature like they probably have a couple shield rids normally these black decks play that and then we like traded thought seasons or whatever and then they played preacher and i was like fuck man like i can't <laughs> so i had to play like a naked lauren and then i played a notion thief and drew two and didn't draw anything and then they had like shield rid in play and i didn't draw a removal spell for it uh, it do be that way sometimes. And then it's like they got to attack into me with their freaking preacher, drew a card, <laughs> which caused me to take two. Stupid. Because I had a notion thief in play. So I, I had like eight cards in my hand at the end of the game, but it was too, it was too late. <laughs> Invoke was enough to finish me off in both games after I was about to turn the corner. All right. So a surprisingly positive results for a deck that is targeting something out there a metagame that may not exist but uh that's that's promising well i think the copter metagame is just over i i there's no good copter deck right now well not yet like the best deck that plays copter is probably red green boats which lauren would be insane against just as an fyi <laughs> so there's no copter deck yet but you haven't given up right you you sent me this new copter idea which i still can't quite wrap my head around it was a green-white copter list, and it looked like you were having a great time playing it. Yeah, so this started with me just thinking that Dromoka's Command is really well-positioned because all the white-blue lists are playing the one white-white, exile all permanents, uh, two or less. 
So you have your removal spell in Dramolka's Command, which is good against Amalia, is good against Red Black. Now it has like applications against control. And it has applications against like red green uh, boats, right? It, it just it has targets everywhere. So if I want to play white, green, and copter, what do I want to play? Well, I've always been intrigued by voice of resurgence and copter because if I have smugglers copter in play, you can't target it. I play voice of resurgence. Now you cannot target copter without paying a stiff penalty. So I get a free attack and loot in probably. Another card I was interested in playing the turn after copter is Amara, soul of the accord, because every time she becomes tapped, I get a 1-1 creature. So maybe you kill my copter, but I got a lot of value. Warden of the Inner Sky is another card that natively lets me tap without attacking with Amara. And every time I get a 1-1, those are more cards that let us tap stuff for Warden. So if I just have a Warden in play and I play Amara and I tap, you know, Warden, Amara, and whatever, a portable hole that I have in play, I just get a 1-1 for free and then I can tap that 1-1 next turn plus the Amara and the portable hole, etc. All these cards are fine. I mean, I'm not... Thraven Inspector, obviously, we just talked about that earlier in the podcast. Asika's Chariot is the card that lets you beat Red Black, right? All the mid-range lists. Asika's Chariot is really hard for them to deal with. Also gives you a bunch of creatures for Warden. Also gives you a bunch of stuff that lets you crew copter. And then uh, Mondrak is a card that I've been liking. A, it's great to just sack Voice of Resurgence, right? It can proactively sack Voice. Oh, I see. It triggers when Amara taps. And then it triggers when Chariot attacks or comes into play and then i added to virtue of loyalty as a card that just again natively makes tokens um and helps you go over the top i, I actually don't know if you need the virtues um i was not that impressed with them there's it's it's a clunky card but yeah the uh like the mondrak plan people don't realize how good it is like mondrak end of their turn like sack voice and something else you get two keldon warlords and then if you like have a, a Seekus chariot come into play they get super huge and then if you copy warlord you get two more etc etc so i i just i was going to win these games anyway but people didn't realize like the kind of danger they were in with mondrak mondrak also becomes indestructible when it does that so it actually survives sweepers so it's two white white for a four four that doubles your token generation yeah including thraven inspector tokens and then for one and then two phyrexian white so that's either three mana or one mana and four life. It's one mana and four life. <laughs> <laughs> and sacrificing two other artifacts and or creatures. So it's a heavy cost. All of that is to put the indestructible counter on Mondrag. But you're saying that actually using that as a sacrifice outlet for the voice, which actually creates this giant token, which you get two of. Yes. And it also crews the chariot by itself doubles your chariot token production so is mondrak just like actually good or is this just like a cute thing that you No, mondrak is really good mondrak is great in the in like the mid-range mirrors mondrak is great against control um yeah mondrak is very good okay to the point that like i think the mondrak chariot engine goes over the top of everything you don't need virtue of loyalty i think i would cut both of them and play other stuff i'd have to think about it third mondrak or is that too much um yeah maybe like a skyclave and a mondrak or something yeah matchup wise i'm surprised that this deck has enough interaction to like not die to amalia for example if against like a deck like blue white 
I hear what you're saying about Dromoka's command, but doesn't the lockdown still erase a bunch of your progress? Even if you can Dromoka's command to kill the temporary lockdown, aren't you still kind of in a bind? No, you actually... The lockdown is templated like the new versions are, so if you get rid of it with it on the stack, it doesn't do anything. Hmm, I see. I have a picture of it here. I uh, turn two, or, or turn three, white orchid into Gobacon on the draw, crew up <laughs> copter, flip the Gobacon. The Gobacon, of course, takes their lockdown, and then the copter found me a Dromokus command. They finally resolve lockdown on turn five because it costs two more. And I kill it with it on the stack, and they are dead on my turn five. Easy easy as can be. With the chariot left in my hand, by the way. Just the games are not even close. But that's blue-white Yorian. Yorian blue-white yeah. is just not a deck. It's the worst deck in the format by a huge margin that people <laughs> think is good. Yes, and I did beat Yorian blue-white twice with my cycling deck. So, so there you go. Further proof. Now, you were telling me that you really like the interaction of Voice of Resurgence with Smuggler's Copter and Warden of the Inner Sky. And it just, it took me like a minute to like figure out what you meant, because I didn't see any interaction between those two. But it seemed like you were saying that Voice of Resurgence, as soon as it hits the battlefield, gives you this protection, right? And we're just used to like people not even attempting to play into it, so just kind of forget that that's there. But what you're saying is that if I have a, a Copter uncrewed, and they're just sitting on Fatal Push salivating waiting for their chance to like pick off the copter you're saying they can't do that now because right voice as soon as it lands well they can they just you're going up a, a whole Keldon warlord right they, they can't do that right? yeah um okay so you you play the voice now you're protected now you crew the copter yes so the same logic applied to warden of the inner sky says that well a lot of the times what happens is you want to pump up your warden to make it four or five vigilance and you only want to do that if you're going to have, like, get it all the way to 4-5 to have a blocker back. Because mm. otherwise you're tapping your whole board, right? So you're going to do no damage this turn, and you're not going to have any blockers if your opponent has a, you know, whatever, graveyard trespasser. So you play the voice. Now they have to respond. If they kill your warden, okay, then I'm not going to tap anything for the warden. I can attack as I, as I can or leave everything back as a blocker. But once voice is in play, now I can freely crew up my warden as I need to, you know, pump it all the way, just tap, you know, a, uh, two clues and a portable hole to pump the warden, etc. Um, it just gives you a lot of flexibility uh, to figure out what you want to do with your turn. Because the goal is to get warden to four or five, so it gets to attack vigilantly. I see. Okay, so you're having great success in your early league. I uh, saw you were smoking Doomwake. Uh, when he was playing that new mono black deck, how did the league turn out overall? I went four one. Uh, beat red black two zero with my opponent ranting about what a bad matchup it was for them. Um, beat your eye and blue white two zero. Beat red red green votes two uh, zero. And obviously, I yeah, beat uh, beat Doomwake on that. Uh, I think it was a nine one list from day one at the RC, and just lost to another value green white list. Um. That just hit a bunch of Cocos. And I like, I mean, I have a really good sideboard for them because I have Hushbringer and Containment Priest. Mm. And either of those cards is just so good against them. Like, Hushbringer doesn't interact with my deck very much. We just have one Skyclave. Seeker's Cherry is not a creature entering play. Oh. But they were playing like four Skyclave, four of the Werefox. And I just like, I did not find a Hushbringer in any of the games. And I misplayed to let my Containment Priest die. And then, of course, they just Coco Coco. <laughs> So I got maybe got what I was what I had coming. Uh, 
so close to the five zero though. I mean, that's very yeah. impressive. Yeah, I, I have a screenshot from the game one where they didn't Coco into Coco, and uh, just miles ahead. But yeah, Hushbringer is actually a really good card for us to bring in against Amalia because it affects so little of our deck. We have a Skyclave Apparition and a Knight of the White Orchid and fourth Raven Inspectors that in theory would be down before the Hushbringer. Um, so it doesn't actually affect very much of what we're doing. I guess it also affects voice uh, if, if it comes to that. But it does shut down, you know, these people that are relying on like four Werefox, four Skyclave Apparition. They, they can't interact with Hushbringer at all. All right, impressive. Surprised by this result, but starting to see the light. I think the lesson is like Warden is a really powerful card. So you have your like aggro draws with Warden into like Thraben Inspector, other one drop. Mm -hmm. And Warden plus Portable Hole is really good if you want to play like these more mid rangey style games because Portable Hole just gives you a piece of cardboard in play that you get to tap. I know you've explained this several times that Warden can tap artifacts. I don't think it actually really computed for me. It still hasn't because I haven't <laughs> actually played it and seen for myself just how sweet that is. I've seen your screenshots, but really surprising design. But yeah, I have a bunch of turn five kills here. Like Mondrak in play, tap, you like get rid of your voice. So you've got two Kelden Warlords, play a uh, Amaria, tap, crew, copter. You get two one ones. So the copter's a creature, Amara's a creature. Amara made two one ones, so now your two Keldon warlords are eight eights. You know what I mean? Like you're you're just threatening a ton of power out of nowhere, and it's really hard for other decks that are like mid range to try to compete with you. I mean, I'd love to see that. These are all like ancient cards: Dramoka's Command, Voice of Resurgence, Smuggler's Copter, <laughs> rolled up out of retirement and joined the Pioneer League. Dramoka's Command is awesome right now. This is if you want to play Dramoka's Command, this is the time. You need an instant interaction to fight Amalia in your like green white list. You cannot rely on, mm -hmm. I guess my green white opponent can just cocoa in the perfect card, but you, you cannot rely on Skyclave Apparition, right? To stop the, uh, the Amalia combo. Right. Right. Okay. So that's some new brews that David has been playing. I've uh, been thinking about before we sign off. I just want to circle back to just a couple interesting decks from the post copter era. And one that we've mentioned a few times is this mono black aggro list. How good do you think this deck is? And what do you make of the specific card choices? And by that, I'm talking specifically about Fairy Dream Thief, Gix, Yogmoth Praetor, and Deep Cavern Bat. Four copies of each of those instead of cards like uh, Knight of the Ebon Legion, which the older mono black decks would play. I think Gix is very good. I've played with it a ton. Um, I think I 5-0'd with a heart of Kirin list with two or three Gixes and three or four of the the blue-black ninja Kaito. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I love that shell. I love the idea of Deep Cavern Bat. Again, doing a sort of voice of resurgence um, imitation, if you will, with Smuggler's Copter. Right, You play Copter on two. They're sitting on push. I play Bat. Do you push my bat. If you don't, I'm going to take it and I'm going to hit you with this copter. If you hit my bat, I'm going to crew in response and still hit you with the copter. Um, Fairy Dream Thief is not a good card. I, I don't think that card is up to snuff. Okay. But everything else here is just very standard, right? I mean, this is as vanilla as it gets. 8-1 drops, 4-2 <laughs> drops, or 8-2 drops if you think about copter. 8-3 um, drops, 2-4 drops, <laughs> or 1-mana interaction. 
uh, multiple mute vaults, so we've got extra creature bodies. Um, two hassle, two two uh, two castle, two hive. I mean, th this is this is like uh, AI constructed this. I mean, I think that the Dream Thief is an innovation in the sense that if once you decide that Gix is actually an important card, then you do need evasion. And going so far as to actually cut the Ebon Legions is a big step. So, I don't know what to make of that. Are you saying you should go back to the Ebon Legions or just find something else like Evolve Sleeper? I don't think you need to draw multiple cards. I think you need to rely on your two drops to get through. You don't, you don't need to have, like, Fairy Dream Thief is just such a low-powered card, and it's how I was able to beat Doomwake, and I, I jumped on a stream afterwards, and he was ranting about, like, the draws with that are almost, like, unkeepable, so. Like, you don't have time to draw the card. That's, come on. Let's get serious here. Well, no, but it, it attacks for damage with Gix, is what I mean. Not not the exile effect, just the fact that it's a flyer. Yeah, th this is not a thing you can do. So it's only good if you specifically have Gix, and Gix doesn't die, and it doesn't die. And it crews up copter. That's how you can kind of like trick yourself into thinking like, well, in a pinch, it can just jump in the copter. Like you just have to play something better. So you think this deck is not actually good? I think the deck is interesting. And I've built a similar shell that is blue black so that we can play more Gix like effects without having to play four Gix. And we get to avoid having to play cards like Fairy Dream Thief. Okay. All right. Now jumping down to a deck that is not good, but is so insanely, insanely sweet. I've been trying to convince you that Demolition Field, Field of Rune, and Sunken Citadel is the key to attacking the Pioneer meta. And off and on over the years, I'm like intrigued by the idea of Cleansing Wildfire and Dire Strain Rampage, Assassin's Trophy, right? Those all attack non-basic lands. <laughs> Didn't quite occur to me that now with Sunken Citadel as your mana fixer, because it does fix lands, right? It comes into play taps, but you choose a color. Now that's the key mana fixer for this Jund Dire Strain Rampage Land Destruction core that also supports your Demolition Field and your Field of Rune. So you can do all of this now at the same time. And Person of the Year, the Samosaurus 1993, puts all together and got a couple 5-0s with a Jund Land Destruction deck that's just all that. That's all it does. It just destroys all of their lands. Assassin's Trophy, Cleansing Wildfire, four of each, Dire Strain Rampage, four copies. And this is one where, you know, you can target your own land first if you just want to ramp yourself and then flash it back on the five mana mode to come back from one of their lands. Doing all that, plus the Demolition Fields, plus the Field of Ruins, so very, very colorful, but the rest is mana fixing. Sunken Citadel's here to make the Demolition Field and Field of Ruins better. The Sunken Citadel, I believe, can also pay for your Hive of the Eye Tyrant activations, or you're cycling your Zeotaurus Proving Ground if desired. How do you actually win? Well, you don't really have to. Hopefully they just give up. But uh, you have some removal, some fatal push, some power board kill, Brotherhood's End, um, Extinction Event. So it's just like whatever sweepers this person cared to put in and spot removal. Escape to the Wilds to pull ahead on cards. And then I think the finisher, which didn't really occur to me, is the big six mana Chandra. Chandra Hope's Beacon, which doubles up your spells can double up all your LD just in case they manage to like draw lands and get out of it. Chandra hopes beacon finishes off that notion while providing the finishing touches. And if all that wasn't enough, it's Zerda compatible. The forgotten companion Zerda the Dawn Waker. <laughs> love this deck. Love to see this. Yeah. So the deck dates from December 11. I think especially Dire Strain Rampage probably heavily benefited from the fact that people were still thinking the Copter was going to be a good card in the format. 
awesome way to get rid of copter effortlessly. Yeah, I mean, the plan of just removal, 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 planeswalker that doubles removal or planeswalker that doubles land destruction. Um, it's a cool list. It'll be interesting to see if it has staying power. The Zerta is just sort of free. It doesn't actually reduce very much. By the time it comes into play, you don't really need it for anything. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess if they're crippled, you might as well just beat them down with a uh, <laughs> Centaur Corsair. Is that a 3-mana three 3-3? Three, three? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Gnarled Mass. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool list. So that's my pick of the week. David, do you want to give a shout out to any of these new post-copter techs? Um, I wanted to shout out the uh, Demir Midrange list. I mean, Demir Midrange. It is a Mind Like Mech Bloodletter of Aklazot's list. Oh. So Bloodletter is the one black, 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 two, four vampire. And it says whenever an opponent takes damage this turn, or excuse me, it says loses life, uh, double that amount. Mm -hmm. Mind Like Mech is a two and a blue for a four, three vehicle with flying that is crew one and it says the first time it becomes crew this turn it becomes a copy of the creature that crewed it so bloodletter of alkazots is very powerful with mind like mech first of all it gives the mind like mech has four power and then it becomes a copy of bloodletter so it actually does 16 damage now i had tried a mono well not a mono black but a, a version of this list that actually felt pretty good and i didn't have the right cards in it I'm not sure this one does either, but they obviously had a lot more success and they streamlined a lot of the decisions that I had not done. Um, so they are playing the Deep Cavern Bat. Again, super cool card because Mind Link Mech becomes a 4-3 lifelink. So it's good in the aggro matchups, as we like to say. Oh. Uh, and I had updated that shell to include for um, Copter because Copter is <laughs> better than Mind Link Mech. Um, they were already playing two Bankbuster, so that's it's nice that like this list ended up very close to where my list ended up. Um, I had a few more like stickier creatures. They're again trying to maximize their gicks, you know, because they've got Malcolm as a flying creature. Well, we get to play Copter, which uh, natively flies. We don't have to play Malcolm anymore. Malcolm was the best looter. Copter is the actual best looter now that it's unbanned. Um, two Ledger Shredder. Uh, maybe that's just the perfect amount. Uh, again, it is a flying creature for gicks. Uh, and then just the normal removal suite, right? Four two-man removal spells, uh, eight, um, the the four push and the, and the four thoughtsies. So yeah, th this is very close where I ended up. Obviously, they had a great success, and hopefully and this is from December 4th. So I think before the unbans uh, and bans. But yeah, super, super cool list. And it, I love when I'm on the, the scent of uh, a list that feels powerful and someone ends up very close to me. It tells me I'm at least thinking, you know, directionally correct. We've played a fair amount of Mind Link Mech. It pains me to say that because we lose credibility every time we admit to having done so, but the combo with Calamity Bearer, the giant, was the original version of the Bloodletter Mind Link Mech thing. And then, you know, I tried that. It sucked. Um, tried to make Mind Link Mech with Unctus and some, you know, a bunch of like Silver Raven type stuff. Make something happen there. Yes, it hurts because the Mind Link Mech, as sweet as it is, is not a very good card. Now, you keep giving me, you keep tempting me. Like, okay, now if we go to black, giving it lifelink, that sounds really good. And if I can still have my Calamity Bearer combo in the form of Bloodletter, like, I'm tempted. But I just can't get around the fact that the mech is has repeatedly proven itself to be quite weak. 
The the combo part of it though lets you just steal games and the forethought sees for deep cavern bad is the key because it protects when you're going to go for it. Again, the same type of issue that we were describing in the mono blacklist with um, Copter. Like I have Mind Link Mech in play, I cast Deep Cavern Bat. What are they going to do? They, they probably don't have two removal spells. And so then you put them in the bind. This is a card that I wish that they could give it the Amalia treatment and just make it lethal. If it were a 5-3 instead of a 4-3, that would make a, a big difference in my opinion. Because then it would actually deal lethal instead of just dealing 16. It would still be bad. So I think it'd be totally safe to make that change. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Mind Link Mech is great as printed. This list is great as printed. We don't need to make everything auto solve. No questions asked. Assemble the two cards and you don't have to think anymore. I don't like that. <laughs> Challenge. You have to do four damage. That's what we're asking you to do. And assemble the combo. <laughs> Stop complaining. All these zoomers. Oh, if it, is, if it doesn't just automatically do everything for me. We, we, we can program uh, a magic online to make people selections for them too as well. They don't have to decide when they're, uh, when they're exploring. Just have the AI do it for you. Just hit, just hit a button and if you, if you win, you win. It's great. It's like going to Vegas and playing the slot machines. Like why even go to a table game? Don't make decisions. Mind like Mac, baby. Get in there. Blood letter of Alklazots. No Soren Alklazots lists have really popped up. So this is kind of the only way that Blood Letters made its appearance, which is surprising to me. I, I thought that there would be Ask Soren lists that would be a lot more prevalent. Red Black Vampires, you were proposing a shell. That sounded very powerful to me. There was one list with Soren and Bloodletter. It was pretty freaking weird because um, they were playing Huntsman's Redemption. So it's like mono black, but they splashed for Huntsman's Redemption. And then in order to have more fodder, I guess they played Icker Drinker. Is that, yeah. that one drop? But the idea, I guess, was that you don't need to get your bloodletter until you've got the combo set up. So like they're playing two bloodletter and two Galta and Maverin, um, for, I guess your Huntsman Redemption to go find once the Soren is in your hand. But that's the yeah, only thing I've seen. It's more of a Galta list than a <laughs> bloodletter list. I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, that deck did five Oh, so it's on the scoreboard. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if it's this, this person, the gate crasher, they somebody five owed with a list with four Icker Drinker, um, four Soren, two Galta before the the new set came out. So this is like a tweak on a previous. So this is something they five owed with multiple times. Okay. The shell of Huntsman's Redemption, one mana interaction, Soren, Icker Drinker, uh, Galta is something that they five owed with before. Okay. So they added two preachers and two blood letters. Preacher's really good, man. You gotta just come to come to grips. Uh, all right all right <laughs> okay well we're gonna keep our eye on the new non-amalia tech i do think there's actually a lot more to discover and whether that's helping hand whether that's dromoka's command coming back into the ring uh it's ali lake return to the ring we'll see um but we will keep tinkering keep brewing and yeah hopefully find some new tech i think that'll do it for us for this edition David, always a pleasure. Yeah. Take care. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Happy brewing. <laughs>